Hello, this is Nathan Ray. Hi. Hi there. Who are you? Uh, I'm Heather. How do we know each other? Do we know each other? Yeah, we do know each other. How many years ago was it now? It was like 2015, was it? Yeah, 2015. That's when we first met. Yeah. We were working at the same place. Man, I have some horrible nightmare stories of that place. Yeah, so do I. I did not like working there one bit. You know what? I honestly have enough stories that I could do like a major like spill the tea video if I wanted to. Maybe we should take the mature ground though and not name drop the company. <laughs> Let's just say that it was a very prominent fast food restaurant. Yes. Oh man, that place is horrible. What would you say was like the first impression that you had of me or like the developing impression? Uh, very quiet. You seemed very quiet and very much to yourself. You didn't really talk to very many people. There was one other girl there that we worked with that we kind of all talked to, I think. And you were also friends with her. That much I remember. That was just an interesting time in my life because I had a lot going on. But yeah, I remember you were very... Are you, you're an introvert, right? Yes, I'm an introvert. You can tell. <laughs> yeah, so you're very, very, just kept to yourself for the most part. Which makes an interesting contrast for you because you're purely extrovert. Oh, yeah, no, I was raised to be an introvert, but I am an extrovert completely. And what was interesting about you in particular with your interactions with me that I found weird at first, but I got used to it, was that you were always willing to have a conversation, even if mm -hmm. I didn't want it. And so you'd be talking about your favorite movies growing up, or Mariana's yeah. Trench, or all the other pop bands that you listen to. And I was like, I didn't ask for this, but I'm still getting it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How has God been working your life over the last week? Keeping me alive. I've been, I came to realize that I don't really know how to get my life together. Maybe that's my, you know, mental disabilities. I don't know. But I really don't know how to get my life together. And so the fact that I have been able to make it this far without being a complete and utter, I don't know, one of those people that, I, I really don't know how I am where I am, to be honest. So that's, I think that's how. Has CERB been helping you out? The Canadian Emergency Response Benefit, $2,000 a month for people who've been laid off during COVID? Oh, I, I didn't have a job before COVID, so I didn't get laid off. I was looking for work, and then that happened, and I was like, oh, I guess I kind of can't look for work right now. So how exactly are you maintaining your survival right now? I'm staying with a friend and her family right now. So thank you to them, I guess. If it wasn't for them, I would be homeless right now, which would be pretty sad. Like I said, trying to keep my life together. Are you still looking for work? Yep. And what's that looking like for you? Well, it seems like I keep... Hmm, my motivation to continue looking is very low, I'll be honest. But I'm trying to find a different type of work because what I was doing wasn't good for my disabilities. Like it wasn't ADHD friendly or it wasn't dyslexic friendly. So I'm trying to find something that I actually am qualified to do. There's not a lot. There's always fast food. Fast food, that's the thing. Fast food is not ADHD friendly. It's the opposite. <laughs> that's one of the reasons why I had such a hard time there. I did dishwashing for a while. That was ADHD friendly where I was working. Oddly enough, 7-Eleven was almost ADHD friendly, not quite. So I'm just trying to teach myself now how to like do screenwriting and I'm doing creative writing and that's pretty much all I'm doing. 
That's cool. I would say that for myself, the way that God has been working my life over the last week, I, I had to clean out uh, one of my spare rooms that's been used mm-hmm. as like this storage area. So many stuff has just been strewn about in that room for way too long. And I needed to do a bit of cleanup, send some things over to a charity shop, send some things over to my sister. And as I was cleaning through the mess, I came across a binder featuring some journal entries written by my dad. And yeah, and and it was talking about his thought process and what it was like moving back to Canada and just feeling like God was screwing him over. And, you know, it's interesting because I was going through my own negative spiritual journey. When I came back to Canada, I was really struggling with the idea of what exactly God's purpose was for me being here. In hindsight, of course, I have a a greater idea. I'm able to look through a glass darkly and see this is the path that I was meant to be on. And it's interesting going into the mind of someone who I was close with and understanding their thought process and understanding their own doubts and just thinking to themselves, how is this going to work out? How is this going to work out? How is this going to work out? And of course, like I would say that's a place that we're still both in right now. My dad, he's, he's talked to me about how he's not really satisfied where he is in life, even though he has better opportunities than he had five years ago. And there's just a part of him that's wondering, okay, what's the purpose of things right now? I would say that it's not really fun to be in that kind of place. But once you're able to look back and understand that some of your fears were going to be resolved, then you have a foundation for hope. Yeah, fear is an interesting thing. I have such, I have so many theories about that, about fear in general and how it can affect your life and the best way of handling it because I've faced fear so many times and I feel like I've deliberately been given and put into situations that have been very, very scary with the purpose of being able to then handle scary situations. If that makes sense? It makes sense. Totally makes sense. Yeah. And so like, I've seen some things that it's not like, oh, I'm scarred for life. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, I'm I'm not going to compare myself to like soldiers on a battlefield or anything kind of scary, but like, I've been through things that a lot of people would classify as pretty scary things. But for me, it's just like, yeah, whatever, because that's just life to me, if that makes sense. I don't know if you're still in Edmonton, but uh, in Edmonton, there's one area called the Abbotsfield area. I don't know how familiar you are with Abbotsfield. If anybody is familiar with Abbotsfield, it's especially when I was little, back when I was like, oh, geez, how old was I? I can't remember how old I was. Anyway, <laughs> it's 2007 time period. It was not a good area at all. Like, there was literally, like, a pedophile two doors down from me in every direction. There was a gang across the street. We had people getting shot in drug deals. We had racist-motivated violence happening right in our parking lot. My neighbors, because it was a townhouse, this is all connected. My neighbors was like a woman and her abusive boyfriend that used to throw barbells at her all the time. And my best friend who lived a few doors down from me, her mother's boyfriend was physically abusive on a regular basis. So that's all normal stuff for me, you know? And so I, when I got robbed at gunpoint once, which happened before I, long before I met you even. But when that happened, it was just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, uh, people are like, you're not shaking, you're not scared. I'm like, no. They're <laughs> like, okay. So fear is definitely an interesting thing. Where, As far as where I'm going in life, 
with that. I, I can relate to you on that part 100% because I have no idea what's going to happen within the next five years. I have things I wish would happen in the next five years and things I'm hopefully working towards and God knows what I want to happen, but I also know he has a very, very, very different plan than the plan I have. And I have no idea what that plan is. And it's kind of like when you're watching a genuinely good written movie or reading a really good written book. And you're like, oh, I have an idea where this story is going. But it's taken so many twists and turns where you're like, hey, I knew where this was going. And now I don't. And it just makes you want to read more and find out where it's going, you know? Absolutely. And that's yes. kind of my outlook on life is my life is a story and I haven't seen the ending yet. So I'm not going to put the book down and not see the ending of the story, you know? So how does that story begin? You mentioned that you grew up in Edmonton and the Abbotsfield area. Why exactly were you there? Why did you stay there for as long as you did? And what caused you to move on from there? Well, my parents divorced when I was two. And so I lived with my mom and my grandma in Edmonton. And my grandma is one heck of a woman. I love this woman, but oh my goodness, she was probably not the best woman to be raising a little girl, I'll be honest with you. However, she definitely instilled in me these, this attitude of not taking anybody else's crap, if that makes sense. I don't know if that makes any sense. She's really good at not doing that. My mom is good at it too, though not as good as her. <laughs> So that's where that came from in me. But we lived in Edmonton in the Abbotsfield area. And then we lived in a different area. And then we moved back to the Abbotsfield area. I saw my one friend go down a really bad path, really young. Like I'm talking drugs and alcohol in like grade four. And I never did that, but she was one of my best friends and she'd come tell me about it. So it was like, I got to see what would happen if you do that without actually doing that. And so it was kind of, an interesting position for me as a friend because then I could see what happens when you make those decisions, if that makes sense, those really bad decisions, and how it turns out for almost secondhand. I could see secondhand, not firsthand, but secondhand, which I'm very thankful for because I have no idea what would happen if I didn't get that. <laughs> but then my family had a fight, moved to Edson for like a year, and then I decided it would be interesting to see what it would be like to live with my dad. So then I moved all the way to Cardston. When that happened, I met my stepmom at the time, and she was a member of the LDS church. That's when I joined the church, when I was 16. So it gave me this interesting outlook because I know how to look at the world as someone who is a non-believer completely and 100%. Like, I know what that perspective looks like. I know what that thought process looks like. I understand what the reasoning is and everything else, but also still have the gospel to lean on, right? So then after that, my dad had an affair. And so that broke up. And then I lived with my ex-stepmom for a while. And that's when I met you in Lethbridge when I was living with her until I eventually ended up moving back with my dad and my then again at the time stepmom, which then eventually I decided I didn't want to live with my dad anymore. I hated it. And now I'm here. So <laughs> that's what brought me here. You mentioned that you had been a non-believer and then you transitioned to become a Mormon. What exactly convinced you that this was the right path to go on? Well, it was a mix of a bunch of different things, to be honest. I mean, there's your typical worldly reasons, right? There's your, 
everybody around me is a member because I don't know if you know anything about Cartson. It's a really small town. It's nicknamed Little Utah for a reason, right? And so it's like all my friends are now members. So those are the worldly reasons as to why to join. But then at some point, it was like, it just felt different, you know? Going to church every week and then coming back and being able to try to follow and as good as you possibly can. I am nowhere near perfect. I am the opposite of perfect. But trying your hardest to follow and seeing a difference, you know? Feeling the difference in your life. I've noticed that when I have those kind of influences in my life and I have people like that in my life compared to the other types of friends that I used to make, different things happen. I don't have friends that decide it'd be fun to try drugs. I don't have those friends. I don't have friends that decide they're just going to go hook up with their boyfriend for a weekend and then deal with, with, with the ramifications of that. You know what I mean? I have friends that are like, no, we're going to go to a fireside and we're going to talk about the gospel instead. And it's going to be good and it's going to be great. And you can stay on, you know, it's basically like, let's stay on the good path, if that makes sense. It gave you a foundation of stability when you didn't really have any. None. I had, let's see, when I lived with my mom at that point, I was 15 and I had no bedtime. My mom was going to work all the time. My grandma wasn't there, so I was home alone. I could do literally whatever I wanted, whatever I wanted. I had no friends at all at the time. So I would, actually, if you want to hear how bad it was, I would spend my daily routine at that point in time before moving in with my dad, literally was, wake up 10 minutes before the school bus comes to pick me up. Don't bother getting dressed. Just get on the bus, go to school, sleep through school, come home, play on the computer, eat some crap while I'm playing on the computer at 4 a.m., put on a movie and just go to bed like that. Repeat every single day. And it wasn't good. It wasn't good at all. And I've learned how easy it is in my own personal life to fall into those kinds of patterns so easily where you even don't even take care of yourself. The ones where it's just like shower? Yeah, nah, nah, thanks. Why bother? Those kinds of patterns. And it's just so challenging because they're so easy to be in. And breaking that pattern, the, one of the first steps of breaking that pattern was moving out of my mom's house, moving in with my dad. The second step of breaking that pattern was getting a completely different lifestyle. And that's what that was. It, it was a completely different lifestyle, one that I could cling to, one that I can hold on to, one that I believed in, you know? And here I am. What do you think life would have been like for you had you not found that new lifestyle? I probably would have dropped out of high school. Like, I probably wouldn't have stayed in school probably would have dropped out. I probably would have attempted to get some kind of job and then failed. I probably would literally be homeless right now, or I'd be doing almost the same thing if I wasn't homeless. For all I know, I could be dead. So I don't know. Nothing good. You mentioned that it's easy to fall into these patterns, these self-destructive patterns. What do you think is preventing you from falling into those patterns right now? Is it because you've managed to maintain distance from those patterns? Is it because of where you're living right now? Combination of the last and just the people in my life. I have a good support system now. So I actually have friends. I have some distant family members that I stay in contact with. And I have those kinds of things, but I could very easily. And I mean very easily, if I'm not careful, fall back into a pattern just like that again, starting right now if I wanted to. So if I didn't have like the friends and stuff to help me out of that, I wouldn't be out of it ever. 
See, that, that's the thing is I found, found myself in a pattern similar to that when I was binge watching Supernatural, which is why I was able to watch so much of it so quickly. But once I finished the show, I looked up and I went, oh, maybe I should return to the land of the living. Like, <laughs> so it's so easy to fall into that. And I mean, I know part of that is my neurological disorder, but part of it is just human nature. We want to be lazy. We want to binge watch our shows and eat our garbage. But to get up at least once a week and to go somewhere at the very least, like I said, at least at the very least once a week, go somewhere, see some peers, talk about something that actually matters, surround yourself with other people that are actually doing stuff that actually want to talk to you. You know what I mean? It kicks you out of the pattern. So during this coronavirus pandemic, we are being encouraged to stay at home. We are being encouraged not to interact with our friends and family members in person. A lot of people have gotten fired from their jobs, which means that the time they would have spent throughout most of the day, all of a sudden they have a lot more free time. And so I think there's a heightened temptation to fall into those kind of patterns of, I'm just going to sit at home all day. And I'm going to binge through Supernatural because, dang it, it's the best show in the entire world. But how have you been able to overcome those temptations? Well, I have a friend that comes down every now and then and we do stuff together. So <laughs> she'll come down and she's like, let's do stuff. I'm like, sweet, I have to leave my bed. Good idea. Sometimes I go outside. That's why I keep going up. I keep asking them, hey, if I can help with something, ask me to help with something because it will get me out and doing something, which if I'm doing something, it's it's easy to get up and do something, you know? But if I haven't been doing anything, good luck. I've been told that I should just go out and walk around the farm, but that requires, you know, going out and walking around the farm. (laughs) It's too much effort for you. I'm lazy, okay. There's no motivation. Sometimes, yeah. So I guess throughout all this, experience of having to move around, of having to readjust your lifestyle multiple times. What is motivating you to maintain focus? What is it that you ultimately want to achieve? You mentioned that you have an idea of what you'd like to have happen in five years. It might not end up happening, but for the sake of theoretical discussion, what would you like to do? Well, for example, I'm teaching myself how to write screenplays. I think I would love to write television and to create a TV show of some kind. If not the one that I'm working on with my friend, then something I do on my own, you know, by myself, at the very least. I'm finding a very, very entertaining, completely, to do so. And I'm learning a lot, and it's really, really fun. And I've made so many new friends that are kind of in the same area. And so what I would love, love, love to do is have something developed to learn and to somehow get to the point where I could pitch something to someone and maybe someday have someone say, yeah, let's do it. You know, the motivation is that one thing that I kind of don't have for most things in my life. And that's been like my ongoing struggle in my whole life, to be honest. But my motivation in life to just continue living would have to be the whole concept of idea of what's the rest of my story because if the rest of my story is just lying here in bed 
binge watching television shows. Well, that's a pretty boring story. (laughs) So that's kind of what I use to motivate myself to really do anything at all anymore. It's pretty much just what's the rest of my story? What's going to happen? Whenever somebody asks, because some days I'm like, you know, it'd be easier if I wasn't alive, right? But some people are like, so do you ever think about committing suicide? I'm like, if I commit suicide, that's putting the book down, walking away, not seeing the ending, not getting to know how the cliffhanger ends, not getting to find out, you know? And so that's why that's never crossed my mind, but myself, I know other people where it has, but for me, that's the thing that keeps me from that is the whole, what's the rest of my story? Because you never, you don't get to know how the rest of your life plays out if you no longer have a life, right? Yeah, unless you believe that this is going to be like the rest of your life homeless or you're going to spend the rest of your life lying on a couch, binging through Netflix. Well, if I'm going to be honest with you, spending the rest of my life homeless is a lot more interesting than spending the rest of my life on a couch or in a bed binge watching shows. If I'm going to be honest, is it the ideal thing? No, but it's more interesting. So that that is what keeps me going, essentially. That and the knowledge that somewhere God has the rest of the story written for me. And he's sitting there with the pages waiting to give them to me to read them, you know? And I just need to finish this page so I can flip to the next one and find out what happens. And if I don't continue on, then I don't get the next page. I don't get to find out what happens. And I think that's the biggest motivation for me is what's going to happen? And I don't ever hear anybody talking about that as a possible motivator for anyone for anything but that's what works for me i would say that it works that way for me too and like here's the thing i've actually considered killing myself Mm, i think we've had that conversation yeah and i've gone through with it a couple of times Mm -hmm. especially during the time where we were co-workers and we were working for the same terrible fast food company nightmare of a place they take totally normal people and just break them down to nothing. I hate that place. It can burn to the ground. First of all, they don't take totally normal people and break them down into nothing. They, okay, basically, if you're Filipino or if you're a high school student, you will be treated fine. But if you're not either of those two groups, then you're going to get screwed. And that's the worst part of that place, yeah. Yeah. That is one you 100% it. That is 100% what was happening. 100%. If you are Canadian, you're you're no. Anyway, I'm not here to rant about that place. You can continue. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> so, I would say that there were points in my life where I felt like things weren't only just going to stay the same, but things were going to get worse. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to have to go through those experiences. And I figured, you know what? Right now, It's not the best time to end the story, but I don't want to find out what happens next. It's sort of like you're reading a book and it's also horrible and terrible. And you think to yourself, Mm -hmm. I want to be able to skip ahead to the end to find out how it all works out, but I can't. And so I'm just going to close the book. I'm going to put it away and I'm going to focus on whatever happens next. But the fact that I managed to survive my suicide attempts, that gave me a renewed sense of purpose. And it gave me the idea that God's not going to be done with me until he's done with me. And if Mm -hmm. he's not done with me now, then that means I have something greater that needs to be focused on. Yeah, 100% agree. And I mean, 
if you look at your life from just your basic building blocks of a story perspective, it kind of almost makes it easier to go through the hard times as well. Because if you look at God as this big, massive author for all of these people, right? And um, you look at it that way, if you were to look at it that way, if you look at your life as this big story, and you're going through this bad chapter that you just want to close the book and put it away. But you think about it from a story writing perspective, if there are no really horrible bad chapters where something horrible happens to your main character, you don't relate to the character, you don't connect to the character, you don't care about the character, it's boring, right? And so the character doesn't grow, the character doesn't learn anything. What's the point of the story? What's the, what's the point in reading this if they don't go through something, right? And so it's the same thing with our lives, I, I think. I mean, that's, that's why we go through bad things, so we can learn, so we can grow. Also, life would be pretty dang boring if everything was hunky-dory, sunshine, rainbows, and peachy every single day. Life would be boring if everybody had the same opinions. Life would be boring if nothing bad ever happened, ever snore right? It's just so boring. If you think about your favorite stories, there's conflict, there's bad things, there's sad things. Uh, People die in them sometimes. So many bad things. And sometimes you just got to think, yeah, I got to go through this bad rough patch. So that way, when the rough patch is over and things start looking up, I'm a better person and the story is more interesting, you know? So I know how to handle this now. I know how to handle loss. I know how to handle all of those things. And that's the way I look at it. I compare it to story writing all the time. I would say, though, just because you don't have any conflict in your life doesn't mean that your life has to be boring. You can still be rather content with your life. Like, I have a family in BC. They live in a fairly idyllic small town. I've been there. I've interacted with them. I find it boring. I find it boring to be around people who talk about all the mundane things that they're doing in their life. But at the same time, I also see the appeal of that lifestyle because like, you don't have to worry about everything. It's like the reward for having to go through the struggle of life. So, I mean, you're talking about this family that you go visit and they're uh, they're mundane and everything, but what did they look like before then, before you got there before you existed maybe did it still look idyllic debatably so and debatably so like i've gone through so much drama in my life 2017 worst year of my whole entire life hands down worst year of my life well i wouldn't say that i had an easy time like my dad's side of the family they're fairly idyllic they're fairly content they're not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination, but they're content in spite of their lack of wealth. My mom's side of the family is a dysfunctional mess. And that is as much as I am willing to say about that. And so when the two came together and created me, that resulted in my life taking some very interesting turns that I cannot discuss right now because, unfortunately, my parents don't really want me to get into that kind of topic. No, oh no, I understand completely. My mom's side of the family is an absolute gong show. And it's one of those things where I really wish I could sit and talk publicly about it, talk about the lessons you can learn from it, but they don't want it shared. So I understand completely. 
I haven't been in neighborhoods where people are being racist to each other or doing drugs or shooting each other up, but I have been through a lot of crap in my own life, and I wouldn't say that it's been easy. You don't necessarily want to kill yourself because life is the best thing ever, right? No. And you know what the thing is, though? I think we have to keep in mind, though, that sometimes life can look the best thing ever, and for all intents and purposes, everything seems to be going well. But something is still off, and therefore it's not. I mean, all we have to do is look at Robin Williams, right? Like yeah. He had everything. What more could he ask for? He had a promising career. He had a family. Like, what more could he ask for? And still. The thing about Robin Williams, though, is like, at the time of his death, he was kind of a punching bag among people, among the general public. He had made some really great films, and he had also made mm. some really, really terrible films. I remember having a discussion with some of my classmates the year before he committed suicide, and they were just absolutely dumping on him. They were asking me, what good movies has he actually been in outside of Aladdin? Really? And I, like at the time, I hadn't seen a whole lot of his filmography. I hadn't seen The Fisher King. I hadn't seen Awakenings. I hadn't seen Jumanji. I hadn't seen Goodwill Hunting. I hadn't seen- This is Delfire. I hadn't seen Miss Doubtfire. And so I really couldn't come up with a good argument for why he had value as an actor. And it, it wasn't until after he had committed suicide that people were able to go through his filmography and say, oh, yes, he actually contributed to a lot of good movies. And I think when you're in that position of life where everything seems to be going so well for you, there are three things that are coming into play that might cause you to want to kill yourself. First of all, you don't see any higher purpose in life. Second of all, you don't think that people are going to look back on your life with any fondness. They're just going to look back and see all the mistakes that you made. And third of all, I believe that Robin Williams in particular, he was going through a neurological disease. And so I think there is also this perspective from him of I'm losing my mind. I'm going through so much emotional turmoil and pain. And I just want that to stop. My great grandfather had Alzheimer's. The final years of his life, he just he didn't really know what was going on. And that's something that I'm particularly concerned about in my own life is just spending the last five, six, seven, eight years just not knowing what's going on, not even remembering who I am. That's scary. That thought alone makes me want to die. Well, I mean, understandably so. I mean, I would hate to not have my sanity, what little sanity I have. I'd hate to not have my sanity as well. So I, I'd, I'd feel pretty similar to that, especially because like, oh, you finally get to see the ending of your story, but you don't get to understand it. That would sound very kind of messed up, in, in my opinion. It's like, oh, he's the end of the story. Not really, though. <laughs> right? But at the same time, you probably have a long time and a lot to go through before you even get close to that. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're not going to get that sometime within the next two years and have to deal with it. You're, you will be a while away. And you can still take lots of pictures, lots of videos, have lots of memories to look back on. But when things are foggy, you have an opportunity to remember. And technology is getting better. So there's always the crossing your fingers and hoping there'll be a way. Say a prayer and pray that maybe someday, somewhere, there'll be a way to make it easier on people that are going through that. One thing that we strongly believe, at least in my uh, denomination, is 
we have been chosen to be born at the specific time and place that we are supposed to be. It's not like, oh, you would have done great in the 1950s, but we'll put you in the 2000s instead. No, no, no. It's not that. It's no, you, your whole life, everything is mapped out in such a way that if it was at any other time period, it wouldn't have worked. I often wonder what would my life look like if I grew up in the 1920s instead of now? Nothing would be even remotely the same, not even close. Like every little detail would be different. And to think your grandfather was born when he was supposed to, he experienced the time that he was supposed to experience. And then near the end, it's time for him to check out and go, right? Like his story's done. Now it's your turn, right? Your turn is here. And who knows, maybe by the end, that same thing might start happening. But because of what time you were born, technology, they just discovered a way to, I don't know, cure it or make it significantly better or bearable or something. And that wouldn't have happened to you if you were born the same time and lived the same lifespan and time period as your grandfather, for example. But maybe your grandfather, for whatever reason, in his life wouldn't have been able to live the same life or have the same kind of sanity if he was born, say, when you were instead and lived up to that point. It's just like how we are only given what we can handle as we are only given the hard stuff we can handle and we are given no more. That's why certain people don't go through as much crap as other people do because they wouldn't be able to handle as much crap. Maybe your grandfather wouldn't be able to handle this time and you wouldn't be able to handle his time. But you can handle this time and you can handle the crap you go through. And then when that comes up, maybe you could handle it, but your grandfather wouldn't be able to handle it going through this, I don't know, hypothetical new technology that they discovered to fix that health problem, right? So then I guess the question that I would have to ask is what about the people who don't make it? What about the people who have decided that they can't handle whatever's coming their way? Is the point of their story is that they were meant to die? Is, is the point of their story meant to be that they were meant to shoot themselves in the head? Well, see, there's a reason why suicide is so frowned upon, right? Compared to dying in any other way. First off, that's my first point that I want to make. Why is it so frowned upon compared to anything else, right? That's the question. I mean, at the end of the day, we all die someday. How and when we die is irrelevant. We all die someday. But what it comes down to is we can choose what we want to do in our life, right? So if we come across something hard and very, 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 very challenging that we don't think we can handle, we have Basically, it comes down to two main options, okay? You could either pray like the Dickens and hold your breath and power through it and find a way to survive through it and keep trying as hard as it's going to be. Keep, keep, keep trying, even if it almost kills you but doesn't keep trying. Or say, no, that's too hard. I don't want to do that. I just want to be done and end the book early. And we have full right to choose when we come to that, which way we're going to go. If we can choose which way we want to do it. Do we want to keep trying and keep working at it and keep pressuring through it? And even though it's going to hurt, even though it's going to be hard, it's going to be like the hardest thing we've ever gone through in our whole entire life. There's a way through it. There's a light at the end, but we can't see it yet. Or do we want to look and go, but that will get me out of here and make it so I don't have to go through the hard stuff. Ha ha. Right. 
I, I know it sounds like I'm saying you're taking the coward's way out, which people don't like, but in a way, not completely, but in a way, it's almost true. It's the, I don't feel like I have the energy or the mental capacity or the strength to go through this, even though you don't know you do have it. Do you know what I mean? You don't know the strength you actually do have until you've gone through it and survived, right? So the fact that you've gone through what you've gone through, you probably thought you wouldn't be able to survive or go through it, but then you did. And now you look back and realize that it was possible. So when you're in that moment, all you see are the blinders, are the, it's dark, it's bad, I can't go through it, I can't do this. You don't see the, but you can, though, on the other side, unless you decide to power through, and then you get to see it. So that's what I think that comes from. It's people that don't realize that they don't see how strong they actually are, and when they do make it through. And that, that's the beauty of people who have gone through that, is now they know how strong they are if that makes any sense. So in your case, now you know how strong you are in that situation. If you were faced with that exact situation again, you'd be like, yeah, I can survive this. It would suck, but I can survive it, right? I would say that's the situation that I'm in right now, actually. And because you've gone through it before, it's so much easier the second time around. Yeah, it is. You mentioned that you wanted to write screenplays and you wanted to get them developed into something real. What kind of stories are you looking to try and write? Well, I dabble with a bunch of things. One that my friend and I are working, it's an insane fiction that would span probably 20 seasons. Uh, We have that many planned out. Where I have another one that I'm working on that involves a PI and an assassin and then there was another one that I was messing around with that involved just a record label and the drama that goes down in a record label and then there was a couple I had an idea for a modern superhero that's also a detective then I'm I'm working on another story that involves a magical world and an elf that doesn't know she's an elf because she lives in our world (laughs) so I dabble in a bunch of different stories I have one about it's set in the future and it's about this refuge of good witches trying to live in the middle of a war between humans, good witches and evil witches. And then I have another one that involves mother nature trying to get back the amulet that allows her to have her powers and she has to enlist father time to help her. And it's a forbidden love story between her and father time. And there's this council involved and an evil witch and stuff. So I mess around with a lot of different things. I've had so many possible ideas come and go, but the ones that I'm most serious right now is the fictional one, which here's the thing. I 100% understand when something is fictional. That's why I can watch Supernatural understand it's fictional. Side note, I was working for a pizza place and I had this one guy come in and he's like, you're a Mormon, right? I'm like, "Um, yeah, sure. And he's like, but you watch Supernatural? And I'm like, "Uh, that's fiction, not real. Get it straight, buddy. And he went, oh, okay. So the fictional show that we are writing is 100% fiction, and it's just about a hypothetical situation where imagine if every mythos that ever was written actually existed and God was a drunk. Like, what would that look like, right? And it's just this insane connected stories situation of what would the world look like if that was the situation, right? 
so and then the one about the pi that i'm working on i got the pilot the first draft of the pilot episode written and i'm learning things about story bibles and lookbooks and pitches and sizzlers and all that fun stuff so i've learned a lot recently because i have one friend that does directing and he's been helping me what would you say have been uh, some of the most important lessons that you've learned in this process of learning how to write a screenplay most important lesson that I learned first off, formatting a screenplay is not what you expect it to be if you've never seen a screenplay before. That was one of the first main lessons that I, I got. Secondly, edit, 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 and edit. And then when you think you're done editing, edit once more. Another thing is it is extremely difficult to summarize something that you hope to spend 20 years where each season is completely different theme with completely different characters into like one paragraph that I've learned. I've also learned how fun it can be to work on something that you're passionate about that you actually have fun with that if you could be so lucky as to have it go somewhere, then you could actually be able to do something fun for a career if you should be so lucky. You know, because even, even if all you're doing is screenplay writing, your chances of being successful still aren't very high. So you might as well have fun with it? Yeah, pretty much. Have you been able to take advantage of any avenues that would allow for any feedback of your work? Yes. There is downtown Render. There is this place called the Hub on Ross, and it's an art center place where they give support and stuff to anyone with any literally it's open to the general public but they more or less focus on anyone with disabilities of any kind or disorders of any kind and so they have a whole pile of different things going on everything from theater which I also take part in to uh, music to painting to drawing and recently they added a writing circle And so I'm part of that writing circle because I was showing interest in writing and they're like, hey, let's do a writing circle because one of the people that are there all the time is also an author. And so we're just doing this writing circle now where we all share our stuff. I was at RDC for a while where I took a creative writing course and it was very interesting creative writing course. So, so, so beyond interesting. I came out of that course a much better writer which is I didn't think would happen because a lot of stuff in that course is very like, yeah, I learned this in grade five, but for some reason it had an effect on me. And I took intro psych, which not only did it help my writing in a lot of ways, but like we should be teaching that in high school, man. Replace calm class with intro psych. Partition here, please. I walked away with a much better understanding of so many things from intro psych than I did in comm class. So that's my like petition that please. But that helped my writing. Like I wrote a poem about something that we talked about in intro psych. And so that was great. The drama classes, I took a bunch of drama classes. I took film classes. I did really well in my film classes. I got a B in film history. And I learned about some film stuff that I didn't know before. I, I, I discovered what screwball comedy is, for example. And if you don't know what that is, of course, I'm sure you do, but anybody listening doesn't know what that is. If you go on YouTube and look up My Man Godfrey on, on YouTube, you can find the original version free on YouTube. It got colorized afterwards. Watch the non-colorized version. It's fantastic. You'll have a good laugh. But 
just getting a nice perspective on where the art form came from too helped. And then I go to writing circle where the friend that he's a filmmaker and he's also in the writing circle. And I'm like, hey, I'm working on a screenplay. I just started it. Want to hear it? Sure. Go through and he goes, I like it or he hates it or he wants to change this. Hopefully that answers your question. It does. It definitely does. But anyways, before we sign off, if I might ask, is there anything that you want to plug? I think, ooh, I saw a show called The Boys recently. I watched the whole first season. It's amazing. I'm in the middle of watching Magicians. I'm loving it. Charmed, OG Charmed, not the remake, because (laughs) Castle, I wish that was still going. I'm a TV person, clearly. And I think Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies is 100% underrated. Fair enough. Thank you very much for coming on. It's been really good. It's been really incredible hearing about where you've been, where you're going. And it's been kind of disturbing as well, but we're going to ignore that. Sorry. I have interesting stories, believe me. <laughs> yeah, we, we didn't even go for like the, the poltergeist story. Oh, no, no, I have paranormal stories like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> but yeah, see you guys later. This has been Because We're Not the Same, a podcast hosted, produced, and edited by Nathan Raymond Ray, with special guest Heather Yanos. To listen to more episodes, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Verbal, iHeartRadio, or Podbean. You can also visit our Facebook page or our website, bwntscast.wordpress.com. If you're interested in coming on the show as a guest, feel free to reach out to us and we'll see about having you on. Thank you for listening.